Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff Spirky Abashir, where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. Okay, this morning's mission is Mishnah Yud Perak Aleph, Mishnah Yud Beis, um, first chapter, Mishnah 12. Today we'll get into some of the details of, um, of this Mishnah, which I think will bring us to a, a very, very beautiful and unique understanding of Aaron and of the concept of Oiv Shalom Verodiv Shalom, of loving peace and pursuing peace. So Hil Vishame Kiblu Mehem, Hil Aimer, Heavy Mitavinim Shal Aaron, that we should be from the students of Aaron. Oiv Shalom Verodiv Shalom, love peace and pursue peace. Oiv Esabrios, love people, Umekarv on the Torah and bring them closer to the Torah. So if I were to ask you, what, what is this Mishnah saying? So the Mishnah is saying that you have to love people and you have, to, you have to love peace, pursue peace. Peace has to be your main objective and your main goal in life. And you have to, to love people. He really, Brios seems to be talking about humanity and Makarvan the Torah, bring them closer to the Torah. It doesn't necessarily mean to make converts, but it means to bring them closer to the, to the Amis, to the truth of Torah and to the truth of God. And if you think that that's what the Mishnah is teaching you, then as a principle that we laid down in the first class, um, why would I need a Mishnah to teach me that you have to love peace? You know, I don't, I don't need a movement to tell me that I need to love peace. And I don't need, I don't need a, um, a dictum to tell me that I have to love peace. There has to be something more than that coming out of this Mishnah. And one of the ways that I know there's something more than that, because it says, having me tell me to shall Aaron, you have to be from the students of Aaron. There's no reason to have to say to be from the students of Aaron. Just say, Ehov, like we said, Ehov is a malacha in the, the previous Mishnah. So then just say over here, um, Ehov is a shalom. Love peace, be committed to peace. But it's throwing in Aaron for a reason. Having me tell shall Aaron. So that's the first thing we have to uncover is why is Aaron being connected with Shalom? Plus, you know, it's interesting. We don't really know that Aaron is connected with Shalom, other than the fact that when he died, all of Klayosol went nuts, right? They were, they, they, all of Klayosol was in mourning. The Torah tells us that, but it doesn't say why. There's no indication of Aaron's. Now, everybody knows the very famous um, Medrash that talks about how Aaron would go and he would see a guy, was two, two guys that were fighting, he'd go over to the first guy and he would say to the guy, oh, I understand you're fighting, you know, the other guy, I should know, I spoke to him and he feels so bad and he wants to, he, he wants to, to apologize to you, but he doesn't have the strength to be able to come to you. So he would go to this second guy and he would say to him, you know, I, I understand you're having a hard time with the other guy, he really feels bad, he wants to come and apologize, but he doesn't have the strength to apologize. The two guys would see each other, they would assume that each guy wanted to apologize but was just too weak to do it, but as long as they knew that the guy was going to apologize, that was enough for them, and they were able to make shalom. And this way, Aaron made shalom. Beautiful, it's a beautiful medrash, beautiful medrash, but it's not in the Torah. We don't have any indication of that in the Torah. So if Aaron was such an important person, and that's what we're referring to, referring to the fact that he was an Oiv Shalom, Verodiv Shalom in that sense. So then why not say that more explicitly in the Torah? If this is what's demanded of us to be from the students of Aaron, then why not just say that in the Torah? Um, okay, furthermore, what, 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 we have to, what we have to know is 
that, um, you know, I don't know if I'm going to answer this question, but it's a little funny that that's the way Aaron made peace with people because you got to imagine that at some point they're going to figure it out. Like they're going to talk to their friends and figure out that they didn't really want to forgive the other guy, but, you know, Aaron worked it out that way. And then eventually it would become known in Klyosol, run away from Aaron because he's going to, he's going to, when he tells you that the other guy wants to, wants to make Shalom, you know that he's full of baloney. He knows eventually the, the whole system is going to fail. So how, why was that considered such a great thing? Plus, Aaron wasn't telling the truth. When he would go over to somebody and say to them, you know, the other guy really wants to, to make, make Shalom with you. It wasn't true. How's that okay? Now, I understand you're going to tell me that, wait, we all know that it's mutal shanais mibnei shalom that you're allowed to lie in order to be able, be able to make peace. That whole concept is a very, very difficult concept. Besides the halachic reality of that concept is difficult, how do you apply a concept that says that it's okay to lie in order to be able to make shalom? Like shalom is the most important thing. So a person goes and he has, you know, he, he does something that's also, does something that's prohibited. And then, you know, he comes home and his wife says, where were you? Oh, I was bowling with the boys. Right? And, oh, that's okay. Like, it's not a problem because you're allowed to lie in order to be able to keep Shalom back. It doesn't make sense. Plus, it doesn't make sense that Shalom is more important than truth. MS is it's the seal of God. You would imagine that truth is the most important thing in this world. We live for truth. So why would you say that Shalom is greater than truth? Okay. So I think that we have to understand like this. I think that we have to understand that normally we would say that the opposite of shalom is machlokas. The opposite of shalom is, uh, the opposite of peace is, is machlokas, is when things, when things separate and, and are contentious. An example, you know, the Mishnah talks about a machlokas l'shem shamayim. The Mishnah talks about an argument for the sake of heaven. And the Mishnah says, later in Pirkei that an argument for the sake of heaven will endure. An argument that's not for the sake of heaven will not endure. An example of an argument that's not for the sake of heaven is Korach va'adaso. What's fascinating is, is that those are not protagonists. They were not really fighting against each other. Korach va'adaso were poised against Moshe v'yaron. It should have said the machlokas of Korach and Moshe and Aaron. But instead it says Korach va'adaso because since they were not L'shem Shemayim, there was even contention, there was even strife and rift within that group. Within the 250 adherents of, of Korach, there was fighting there also. And that's how you know that it's not L'shem Shemaim, and it didn't endure. However, Machlech L'shem Shemaim is, fascinatingly, Hillel and Shammai, exactly what we're dealing with now. Hillel is the person that says that you have to love Shalom, Oiv Shalom, Oiv Shalom, and the Hillel and Shammai, their Machlokas, is actually an example of a Machlech L'shem Shemaim which means that it's going to survive. Now, that's a strange thing. I want Machlokas to survive. I don't care if the Machlokas is Shem Shemaim or not Shem Shemaim. Why do I want Machlokas to survive? Why do I want Machlokas to endure? That, oh, this is a good thing. Machlokas is Shem Shemaim. That's going to endure. Why do I want any kind of Machlokas to endure? And that means that if you see Machlokas that is enduring, can you assume then that that is a machlokas l'shem shemayim, because that's the hallmark of a machlokas l'shem shemayim, is that it endures. So if I see, you know, the Hatfields and the McCoys are fighting with each other for, for 50 years, I can assume that, oh, the reason that they're fighting with each other is because it's really based on the shem shemayim. 
So I'll tell you, I think is an amazing thing, that the word machlokas is a nasty word, but it's only a nasty word when we use it in a nasty way. Machlokas is, we, 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 the connotation of that word is strife and contention, but the truth is, is that machlokas really means division. Lechalek, to divide. And the truth is, it's not really a terrible thing inherently. Because we are, in fact, different people. We're taught that there's no two partsufim that are the same. There are no two faces that are the same. There are no two people that are the same. That's why we make a bracha when you see 600,000 Jews standing together. We make a bracha because God knows and understands the 600,000 different personalities. It's like fingerprints. That like a fingerprint, there are no two fingerprints that are alike. There are no two personalities that are alike. Everybody, there is, everybody is mechulak. Everybody is completely different. We're unique. We're separate. We have separate abilities. Everybody has their own space. If we weren't different and we occupied the same space, we'd kill each other. Because we would see each other as competition. You're in my space. Take two people in different professions. You take a doctor and, and, a, and, and a, a bricklayer. So a doctor and a bricklayer don't really have any kind of contention or jealousies between each other because they each know that they play a different role. Doctor does his thing, bricklayer does his thing. Even take two different kinds of doctors. You take a, a, you know, a pediatrician and an internist. They're, they're, two, they're doing two completely different things and each one understands their place. Not only do they understand their place, they understand the necessity of the other person and having a connection with the other person. The way we achieve our own space in a healthy, comfortable kind of way is that we understand that we're different and that we have a clear differentiation and a clear definition of who we are. And Okay, I'm sorry, I have to close my window. I'm bothering my neighbor. Apologize. Okay, so that in order to be able to to achieve shalom, so we have to, in order to be able to, to, to achieve our own space, then we have to know that we're different and we have a clear definition of who we are. And when we have a clear definition of who we are, then we have room for other people. In other words, I know that I occupy this space. This is what I do here in this world. This is what my, what my tachlis and my purpose is. This, is. this is what I am. This is what I'm doing. And this is what you're doing. And this is who you are. And this is the space that you occupy. And once each of us is comfortable with the spaces that we occupy, there's room for each other. You're not a competition to me. You're not taking away from me. You're not detracting from my existence. You're actually enhancing my, my existence. I am part of yours. You are part of mine. A machlekes of strife comes only when we're not clear about our spaces. This was the reason why God wasn't afraid of splitting us up into Kahanim, Levim, Yisraelim. Because if everybody understands their role, if everybody understands their place, the Kahanim have a space, have a place in Klai Yisrael. The Levim have a space in Klai Yisrael. The Yisraelim have a space in Klai Yisrael. Right? Kohanim Ba'avodasam. They're doing the Avaida, they're singing, they're the backup team, the Mamados, right? the Jewish people that they're split into 24 groups along with the Kohanim and that they're davening and that they're learning. There's the support team for the rest of the, um, the, the Kohanim. 
if everybody understands their space, so then there is no machlekes. We're going to learn a, leg, a mission in the second ch- chapter that says that Rabbi Yehuda, uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai had five students. And it tells us about Rabbi Yochanan's five students, what he praised each student with. This one was a, was a borsid that, that it was like a, a, a cemented cistern that didn't lose a drop. This one was this, this one was this. And the commentaries look at it and say, wait a second, why would a Rebbe say that about his Talmudim in front of the other Talmudim? Why would you praise them in front of the others? It's as if saying that, you know, this one's my favorite because he's this, and this one's my favorite. And, and it would only create machlekes. It's only going to create strife. So, so it's a beautiful explanation. That no davka, that's what creates the shalom. Because when he was able to define his students and he was able to say, this one has a memory that's like amazing. And this one has a breadth of knowledge that is awesome. He was putting them all in their places and telling them, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. Once each one of them understood their place, they understood how they all five interacted together and made one whole. And then there was no longer any machlokas, dafka no longer any machlokas, because everybody appreciated everybody else's space. Machlokas, strife machlokas comes when we don't understand the chiluk, when we don't understand the differentiation, the space of who we are, and we don't have a clear vision of who we are, what our kochos are, what our powers are, what our capabilities are, what our abilities to be able to accomplish are, what role we play in this world. When we don't have that, that's when we have machlekes, that's when we have strife. So what's shalom? Shalom is understanding that even though we have our space, that's not enough to make shalom. It's enough for us not to have machlokas. But what's going to bind us together? You know, there is an incredible thing in the Torah. The Torah tells us, with the Midrashim also, the Torah tells us that when we were split into the Gullim, we were split into flags in the desert, everybody had, every tribe had their own flag. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu was very worried about that because Moshe was worried that once you identify a tribe with its flag and the flag was a symbol of what that tribe was, so then there was going to be a rivalry. My flag's better than your flag, right? And there's, I'm, I, I'm, we're, we're cooler than you are. And that, that there was going to be a natural strife because of that division in Klyosol. God assured him it wasn't going to happen. Stop there for a moment. The matter says that the nations of the world saw the flags of the Jewish people and they were misadah. They desired the flags. Now, they sent a message to the Jewish people, we want your flags. So Moshe Rabbeinu sent back to them, you know, you can have your own flags, you can do it also, but what exactly were they desiring? They were desiring a shmata with a picture on it. Right? They didn't have a Betsy Ross that could sit there and make a flag. But they, they needed to desire, they needed to want the flags of the Jewish people. Like, what did they want the flags of the Jewish people for? What was so special about the flags? Look, we were just coming out of Mitzrayim. It wasn't like we had great artisans. We know that because of the old Mishkan thing. So what, was the, what were the flags that they were Nisava? No, what they were Nisava was, is that normally when you put flags up, when you make divisions in teams, there is by definition a competition. This is my place, this is your place, there's a chiluk. And because of that, there is division, there is strife, there is contention. 
What they were amazed in, Klai Yisrael, is that Reuven could have his flag, Shimon could have his flag, Levi could have their flag, every tribe had their flag, and yet there was no division that did not cause Machlekes and Klai Yisrael. That's what they wanted. How did that happen? How did God guarantee Moshe, you have nothing to worry about, this is not going to cause strife? Think about the way the Jews were camped in the desert. They were camped, starting from the outer tier. They were camped three tribes, three tribes on either side, and then three tribes on the bottom. In other words, they were a square of three tribes on each side, north, south, east, and west. And the reason that they were north, south, east, and west, because from every direction of the compass, there's another kayach that comes into the world, another power, another energy that comes into the world. The three tribes that were together on each side, they had that, they were personifications of that kayach. The middle tribe personified it the most. Then the next tier in was another square of the Levitical families. And then in the center was the Mishkan. And as long as the Mishkan was in the center, as long as God, the divine presence, was the center focus of every single tribe, their flags were not going to cause strife and contention. Their flags were going to allow them to be able to become one, shalling, whole, because their flag said, I am this particular piece of that whole. I'm this particular piece of that center. I'm this particular piece of that center. And when everyone saw themselves as part of one whole, with the recognition that they had their contribution to make, that's how they were able to achieve shalom, shleimus, wholeness, because they saw themselves as a part of one entity. That's why Yushalayim is called an ear, Shechubrala Yachtov. It's a city that gathers us all together. I walked in with my Minhagim, you walked in with your Minhagim. I came from my place, you came from yours. But when we came into Yushalayim, we were all dedicated to exactly the same thing. We were dedicated to God. We were dedicated to serving the master of the universe. That's why when Isaiah talks about his future vision of what it's going to look like in Yemesa Mashiach, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating question. Why do we need Isaiah's prophecy of lambs lying with lions in the future? Why not say that you know what the future is going to look like? Noah's Ark. Lions lied with lambs in Noah's Ark. All the animals were together, especially if you hold it. They didn't have they didn't have you know separate chambers for the animals. So then they all lied together. That was a a symbol of peace of shlemus. Why are we using shlemus? as the future vision of what's going to be, which we never saw. It's very hard for us to relate to that. If you want to teach me what Shlemus is, go backwards and tell me Shlemus is like what you saw once in the Teva. Because I wasn't Shlemus. They weren't dedicated to the same thing. They were all really trying to preserve their own lives. They happened to be stuck together for you know, X, amount of, X amount of months, for a year, but they were, just, they were just cooperating with each other. They weren't one. But in the future, the world is going to be filled with the knowledge of God and everyone is going to be dedicated to exactly the same thing. And that's what Shalom is.
That's why it's very difficult for us to think of achieving peace with our neighbors in Olam Because we're not out for the same thing. We can achieve cooperation, but not shalom, not shlemus. Because shalom means shalem, means whole, harmony. Everybody recognizing that they are all serving the same thing and that their purpose is exactly the same. That's what it means, oev shalom, virodev shalom. It does not mean to love cooperation, because that's not shlemus. That's just, you know, whatever, it's a peace and it's good, it's not a bad thing, but it's not shlemus. Oev shalom, virodev shalom means to love wholeness, means to teach, to be dedicated to everybody connecting together for the same, everybody dedicated to the same purpose. You know, the Kain Gadol on Yom Kippur was able to go and put his hands on an animal, push down on the head of the animal, and to atone for the entire Jewish people. That smells of another religion. That one person dies for the sins of others? That a Kain Gadol can atone for the sins of the others? You ate the cheeseburger and the Kain Gadol can atone for it? What a deal! How does that work that the Kohen Gadol can atone for something that you did? Because the Kohen Gadol was you. The Kohen Gadol carried the breastplate. It wasn't put in a box. Because the Kohen Gadol, you know, if you think about it, the breastplate was the communication tool between us and God. It should have been planted on some desk in, in, the, in the inner chambers of the temple. And whenever he had to go, he would go, you know, type into the into the, this special box his request to God, and it would come back by things lighting up. Sounds very familiar. Why wasn't it that way? It was worn on the clothing, on the garments of the Kohen Gadol, because the Kohen Gadol had to and was capable of carrying Klal Yisrael on his chest, carrying them in his heart. The Kohen Gadol had two places where the, every single tribe was etched into his, in, into his garments. One was on the breastplate, every single stone. There were 12 stones, and every single stone represented another tribe. And the name of the tribe was etched into the stone, so that when God communicated with them, he would communicate through the lighting up of the different letters. And then on the epaulets, on the shoulder pads of the Kohen Gadol, he had every tribe, six on one side, six on the other side, because the Kohen Gadol carried every single Jew on his shoulders and in his heart, because he was a chilek, he was a connection to every single Jew, a part and a parcel. Now, the truth is, every one of us is. That's why we say that a person, one of the first, if a person comes to the first 10 people in a minion, so a person comes to shul, he gets the schus of every single person because he is, he's connected to every single person that shows up after him. Every single soul, every single neshama is connected one to the other. The Kohen Gadol was able to appreciate that. He was able to feel it. Who was the first Kohen Gadol that felt that? That was Aaron. When Moshe Rabbeinu was chosen to, to lead the Jewish people, Moshe Rabbeinu said to God, one of his tainas of why he didn't want to take the job was because my brother is going to feel bad. God says to him, stop projecting. It's not your brother's problem. It's your problem. 
Your brother is shulling. Your brother's whole. He understands that you are needed, that you are the one who has to represent the Jewish people, that has to be the, the, the one who is going to go to Paro. He understands what his role is and what your role is. He's very comfortable with that. Aaron came out with such joy when he found out that Moshe Rabbeinu was going to lead the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. He was thrilled because Aaron was a shalim. Aaron was able to understand you've got a place, I've got a place, and we're both working for the same boss and for the same goal. That's why the Mishnah says, don't just love peace. Having me talmidov shall Aaron that you have to be from the students of Aaron because the level of peace that you're achieving is not cooperation, which is what Oev Shalom Verodev Shalom would say to me. Cooperate with other people. That's what it would say. Get along with others. No, don't get along with others. Be Shalom with others to the extent that you feel that you're all doing and working for the exact same purpose. That's why we use Aaron as an example. Because having me tamidav shall Aaron, you have to be not just, it doesn't say act like Aaron. You have to be a student of Aaron. What's a student? A student is somebody who is not only learning externally from the Rebbe, but somebody whose existence is becoming entwined with the Rebbe who is becoming, who is thinking like, who is connected to his teacher. Having me talmidov shall Aaron, don't just do what Aaron did, be committed to the same things that Aaron is committed to. Oev shalom v'rodev shalom, it's not enough to love peace, you actually have to spend your energy pursuing it. Oevis abrios, you have to love people. Love people because you see them and yourself as part of the same whole. By definition, that will be makar of them to Torah. It will be makar of them to the emes, to truth. That's why we say that it's mutalashanos mipnea shalom. This, I have to do a little quickly, but. It's mutal shanas min you can you can lie because of keeping peace. And it doesn't mean all kinds of lies. There are certain types of lies that are okay in order to be able to keep peace. And it's not that peace is greater than MS. Peace is the ultimate MS. That the ultimate realization that you and I are one and you and I are working for the same thing, you and I am committed to the same thing. That's the ultimate truth of this world. Maybe we'll have to deal with this tomorrow. But that's why Yaakov, isn't it crazy? Titain MS Yaakov, give truth to Jacob. Tell me Yaakov's life story. Oh, he tricked his brother, tricked his father, tricked his schwer. Titain MS Yaakov? Really? Maybe we'll talk about that tomorrow a little bit. But that's what Shalom is. What the Mishnah is teaching me, the Mishnah is not teaching me, get along with people. No! 
It couldn't be because if that was the case, it wouldn't be in Pikyavas because every idiot knows that. The mission is teaching me how do you achieve shalom, shlemus, wholeness. You achieve wholeness by realizing what you're dedicated to and what everybody else is dedicated to. And when you're committed to the same things, that by definition brings wholeness to Klai Yisrael.